right, here we are. We're uh, sojourning today, and um, I've got my brother back on. We're doing the sweet, sweet sojourn together. What's, mm. what's going on? How is your sojourn? Love that. Have you heard? Did it, I, I sent you. I know that you have because I've sent you the link. But that John Mark Macmillan song about about being a pilgrim. Hmm. You heard it? Nope. So good. Yeah. Not as good as our little riff, though. No, it's not. It's not. No, it's the best be little riff in the world, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's so like I'll my first. My first thought is whenever I listen to any podcast, I'm like, mm, not quite as good as that one. Oh, I um, I got you something. You're not going to like it, but I got you something. I think it's really cool. What? I'll show it to you later. What? Now everyone uh, is in in. It's it's a, it's a it's a it's um, the two age sojourner logo mm-hmm. made with hammer beads. What is a hammer bead? <laughs> yeah, they're like little plastic rings that you iron, and then you make they're like all gel together. So the kids are making like hammer beads. Oh yeah, and we've made we've made a two edged sojourner one. Oh cool, all right. Yeah, it's a little bit of a letdown. I thought it'd be something like awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I knew you wouldn't like it. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, <laughs> you, you don't <laughs> really like the, crafts and stuff, right? Yeah, well, it, it's not the thought that counts with you, Mike. No, no, it isn't. <laughs> I, I went the I went the money. I went the bling, the bl- bl- bling, bling, the bl- bl- bling, the bl- bling. All right. Hmm. So talking about bling, let's go into Michael Horton. Bam. There's a segue. There's a secret for you. Um, smooth transition. Smooth. Uh, the living God, right, is what we're looking mm. at. Chapter three on uh, pilgrim theology. Uh, as we said, we're going to kind of commit to the process as much as we want to be lazy and just chill and talk about other things. We're going to kind of, uh, in our efforts to just give a nice intro series for anyone who wants to listen to the podcast and just get clued mm. up with some basic systematics before jumping yep, into yep. some of those other discussions, which can get a little overwhelming or a little bit niche at least. And uh, to be honest, it's not probably not the best thing to jump into if you haven't covered the basics yet. Uh, just can't help that little pastoral instinct come through. I mean, I realize we put this thing out and really it's not for... It's not. It's kind of like the one little bit of freedom we had from pastoral ministry in that sense, in that we're just talking nerd, we're just talking shop, we're doing our thing, and we've decided to put it out there for anyone that's that's interested. But I have had a few moments where I've thought, mm, you know, you know, people people jumping in and kind of you know just just listening to things, and and I don't want to sound like a snob. We don't want to come across that way because the reality is, anyone who's doing their thing. He's going to know stuff about things that they do all day, and it's going to come out as they talk shop. So it's not a it's not an elite thing or anything like that. Uh, I mean, anyone who knows what they're talking about will know that it's not an elite thing very clearly as they listen to us. But um, but at at the same time, it it can seem that way. Like it's a little bit snobbish. Like here we are trying highfalutin' ivory tower theology, and we don't we don't want to do that. But so, you know, that's the wrestle. That's the, you know, do we want to turn this into another branch of pastoral ministry where we're kind of, you know, doing a, a, a typical series, which is a lot more systematic, a lot more, uh, you know, concerned to take you through the ABCs of it all? Or do we just want to keep it informal and a discussion-oriented thing? So we've chosen the latter. We are just going to keep going because, you know, we both realized that probably if we load this thing up too much with any level of pressure, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be too much. We're just going to give up. It's just not, you know, and that's not good to anyone and uh you know we'll probably keep talking anyway so that's the thing that'll happen anyway so this is a way to just kind of blend the two and usually when you blend two things you get a horrible compromise that doesn't work for each thing so that's probably what's going to happen here um and so what are you looking at 
Why are you getting distracted? Nothing. Look, no, I'm just self-conscious because I know that you don't joke. like when the kids are noisy. Then the kids, the kids were just. I had it on mute, good, but good. the kids came charging upstairs, <laughs> chased each other around a little bit, what? and then went back downstairs. Did it's amateur hour in this place again? It's lockdown you know? life, man. It's all yeah, part of lockdown it. life. All right. Well, anyway, so this is our effort to just try and you know move in that direction. And again, it's going to be a little bit messy. We're not we're not trying to present a series or a lecture series at this point, but hopefully this will be a kind of good entry level discussion point. We might fail. It might fail. It might fail. But you just got to get out there and fail, right? That's what we're doing. Yeah. Or it could Risk be a is wonderful right. success. Isn't that what Daddy Papa said? Risk is say? right. What's that? Risk is right. Risk is right. Man. Risk is right. I, I nearly said something else that I would have regretted. So I'm just not going to say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't. don't I, I'm just move not. on. See, that was a just sign move. of maturity that just took place right yeah. there. Sanctification <laughs> is real. All right. Um, all right. The living God. Basically, what Horton does here is take us through, you know, what you'd find in a... Um, Theology proper, chapter one, chapter two. So it's it's fairly standard in that regard. Just working through the attributes of God. Um, I like the way he does it, though. I recommend you have a read through the chapter if you're interested. It's it's a good one. Thing that's great about the whole the whole text is that it's written in a very engaging, almost a narrative. You know, he just takes you through this big story essentially, which is um, you know the way that he set it up and he's he's purposely engaging. Uh, systematic textbooks are often just quite. Uh, dull at this point, you know, they'll, they'll start listing. I mean, it's, it's very ironic because we're talking about the living God and I love the way he titled it too, by the way, you know, and then you get to the, the attributes of God, attribute one, attribute one, a attribute one, a one, you know, and it's just like, it's, what are we doing? You know? And, um, and so he brings, he keeps it alive and moves it through. Um, so, you know, again, it's one of the reasons we chose this text just to kind of recommend, not to mention the fact that he's got Klein in the back burner all the time. And he is, um, you know, he's, he's just a good theologian all around. Um, so um, we start off with uh, these things that are called the incommunicable and the communicable, uh, communicable categories um, or the attributes. And um, I don't know if you have any thoughts that you want to say by way of introduction before we get stuck into these. What what, what are we talking about when we talk about communicable and incommunicable? Well, that sounds bizarre. I mean, I guess it's it's building a little bit on on conversations we've already had about mm. you know whether or not you can know God, you mm. know, and what that actually means. And so, if you're saying you can know God truly, but you know him kind of by way of analogy to things that we understand. Mm-hmm then the same is going to be true about things that are about God. There are going to be some things about God to which we um, will have a less direct experience of um, and some things about God that we'll have a more direct experience of. So, mm. so yeah, I think um, it, it's really just just pointing out that, you know, it's, it's a little bit like um, if you go to the standard, I don't know, uh, the standard kind of, uh, Muslim come back, push back against the Christian doctrine of the Trinity or, so, or Christian doctrine of God or something like that mm-hmm. to say that, listen, it's just so confusing. And it's so, you know, whereas this Muslim doctrine of just one God, pure and simple, you know, so much easier to understand. And, and, and that argument is basically saying because your, your view is more difficult to understand, more complicated, um, sort of more detached from our, our way of experiencing the world, it therefore is a, is an inferior view, mm. 
And actually what we've seen, you know, looking at, well, how do you know anything about God and everything, is that actually the more you can simply have a view of God where everything is just totally within your grasp and experience, mm. is the more you need to be suspicious that that view of God has just been fabricated mm. or imagined. Mm. You know, if, if, if it's totally within our experience and within our, our um, understanding, then it's very, very likely that we could have just imagined that God. Mm. Um, whereas mm. a, a view of God where he is totally beyond almost at every turn, uh, even with a th where there are, m are points of similarity, there are points of dissimilarity at the same time. Um, that, I, speak, I think, speaks true of, uh, of uh, that, that kind of view of God is more likely to have been revealed from God rather than made up by us. And so I think um, communicable and incommunicable attributes are just following along with that thread, saying, listen, there are some things about God that are just not like anything in you, anything in creation. Yeah. And there are some things about God which are similar to our experiences and our, and yeah. our attributes, but, you know, by way of analogy. Yeah, and even by way of analogy, I like the way Horton put it, the attributes of God that are unique to Him, um, unique to Him, are considered incommunicable. They, they can't, they're incommunicable, they can't be communicated in that sense. Mm -hmm. uh, they are not to be, uh, they are not... Sorry, they cannot be understood to be true, hmm. even analogically, of creatures. Yeah, yeah. Of creatures, yeah, yeah. right? So, so that's the whole thing. Um, mo most, but not all, of the terms for these incommunicable attributes have the negative prefix. So, like uh, infinite, immortal, uh, invisible, and so that's you know that's kind of where it's going. There, we're using something. <laughs> even that has to use something we know. Yeah. In order to describe something we don't know. Exactly. But. Yeah. So it's precisely at that point that we are moving way beyond anything that we can understand. So it's an important area of theology in many, you know. Yeah. Um, and so we've got a whole bunch of these to get through, and then we'll go into the communicable. We'll start with incommunicable, then we'll go on to communicable. That is basically where we can analogically at least find something uh, recognizable there in terms of our makeup and um and uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But um, simplicity or the unity of God is the first one. Um, yeah. what, what comes to mind when you, uh, you think of that? Well, I mean, uh, so it doesn't mean that God is simple in the modern sense of the word. We're not saying God is kind of daft or unintelligent right. or, or basic. Mm -hmm. Basic um, is a good, yeah, exactly. Uh the that's why we use it i i think um i do just want to say i listened to a series of lectures while i was painting our living room by james dolezal yeah um, i mean and that was just but it mm. touches on simplicity yes, as well it does, and so yeah. like um uh, so in other words simplicity is just basically saying you can't play one attribute of god against another attribute of god yeah, it's like he's not part you know god is not partly loving and partly just and mm -hmm. partly whatever, so you can just think about one part to the exclusion of the others. Do you know what it made me think of? It made me think of past conversations with mutual friends of ours from a certain theological background, which may or may not be, you know, Barvist Christian Fellowship. Um, <laughs> Got it. I mean, okay. I have no idea what you're talking about. No, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But um, the where they would be like, oh, you guys, you Calvinists, right? You emphasize God's, um, God's sovereignty, you know, and, and his holiness. Mm -hmm. 
you know, but we like to think more about God's love. Right, right. This is a classic, a classic case of where divine simplicity is so important because mm. we are not allowed to emphasize God's sovereignty to the exclusion of his love. Mm-hmm. And they are not allowed to, ex- to emphasize God's love to the exclusion of his sovereignty. Yep. That's exactly a refu- uh, uh, you know, refuting divine simplicity. Yeah, that's a great point. And, um, and he says, you know, not only are we not allowed to do that, but when you do that, it becomes dangerously, uh, perilous, perilously close to idolatry, which I think is a great point. That's, um, yeah. that's absolutely true. And um, yeah, it's not that the one denomination just does this and that, you know, that, that's not what we're striving for at all and shouldn't be uh, in any way the goal. Rather, the goal is to get it right and represent mm. God properly and, um, and represent all uh, those uh, attributes um, as various descriptions of God's unified being, um, as Holden mm. puts it, which I think is good. Um, in fact, here I see it right here in front of me. There is a caution here against the tendency of hyper-Calvinism to rank God's sovereignty and justice over his love and of Arminianism to, ref- to reverse the order. This comes perilously close to idolatry by worshiping an attribute of God rather than God himself. So that's a solid point that he makes there. Um, and Je- you know um, what's interesting about that? Just to reaffirm that mm-hmm. is that you know, and James Dolezal, is that is that how you say his name? Dolezal. Dolezal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, he 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 um, makes the point that um, that basically, you know, if you do that, if you emphasize one point to the exclusion of the other, you do end up with a false view of God by showing how, actually, in some Arminian circles, the kind of uh, the the freedom of of human will has been emphasized to such a, a degree and God's kind of love has been emphasized to such a degree that it's led into kind of open theism mm. where this view where which it, it is leading on to impassibility and everything like that oh, yeah. where, totally. where God changes mm. you know he doesn't actually know what's happening in the future and he, and he isn't complete in his understanding and there's some kind of change or growth you know he he changes his mind about things. He repents mm. of things, mm. and so on and so forth. And and so that's, I think, a, a good case study for how you know emphasizing one thing to the exclusion of the other does actually lead to a false view of God, mm-hmm. you know, an idolatrous mm-hmm. view of God. Absolutely, yeah. You could say the same for some of the more severe hyper Calvinistic sort of things exactly. that we. I mean, yeah. it ends up just monstrous and terrible. Um, all right, so moving on to aseity then, which is obviously all these things are interlinked, but aseity, uh, the independence of God. Mm. Um, God would be who he is without the world. This is a huge one. This For me, I think this is a, um, this I've used this, I've used this thought paradigm to understand what is God and what isn't God. And, and just, it, it's helped me a lot. Um, in the past, I think I have made reference to uh, what I've, I can't, you know, I've got it from somewhere. Uh, one book I was reading, I just can't remember what it was, but back in the day, you know, uh, someone described it by way of a philosophical arc. So it's it's really not 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 unique to what to, to anything I'm saying right now. Um, and if anyone remembers where it is, please let me know because I can't remember for the life of me. But anyways, uh, I I just found that to be very. It was on this point of a satiety, and um, and you know you can almost imagine a graph uh, where you've got just a. Um, you know, a circle which really represents not the world, but just creation, everything created, mm. right? And then you've got, um, and then you've got God over over the circle, or like a big arc that that just you know, and God is above that arc, and maybe another circle there, obviously just representing God's being. Every diagram is going to fail at that point, but you know what I mean. 
And, um, and the whole thing is, you know, whenever you've got any of these attributes come into play, especially the incommunicable attributes, you know, when you bring, um, you know, simplicity is a great one, actually, it's probably the best to, to look at this on. It, you know, as soon as you say something is a seity, it's by definition, uh, not sorry, not a seity, but it's, it's simple. Um, um, as soon as it's self-reliance, uh, as soon as, you know, you say this entity is those things, they are by definition God. They move above the ark. But because you move them above the ark, there can only be one thing. Right, because it's simple. Mm. <laughs> so they can you never be two. Yeah. They can only be one, and uh, and you end right. up using that paradigm a lot when you're thinking about things. Uh, that will actually get into uh, eternity in a second, mm. where mm. It, you know you feel this arc dimension. I mean, is is time part of God? Well, if you bring time mm. above the arc, then you must say time is part of God. You know, if mm. if, if mm. that eternal span is in fact eternity and that's uncreated and self-sustaining it you've brought it above the ark so whatever you yeah. bring above the ark becomes god in the way that yeah. you've conceived it and uh yeah. and it can yeah, only be that is helpful it is very helpful yeah so um you know and all of these things are you know you add that to that rubric you really are, are creating for yourself a, a way to process you know who god is and who and what we can't say of certain things another another famous one well, that people are get get stuck on this a lot but, um, you know, they think that when, when we die, we will essentially go above the ark. This is where it really comes out, you know? Yes. You yes. Know, all all yeah. of a sudden yeah, we'll yeah. have immortal sort of, uh, well, in, you know, well, infinite knowledge or we'll be timeless like God, you know? But what we've done then is we've just yeah. taken a creature from below the ark and we've put it above the ark. In heaven, we don't go mm. above the ark. We're still created. Nothing. The angels, right, not even yeah. the glorious angels yeah. ever go yeah. above the ark. It's and like, so, have you ever had that conversation with people? I have one recently where someone's like, well, we, you know, we're already in heaven. Oh. Have you ever had that one? No, I can't say that I have. Really? We're comes in heaven. All the time. Because um, in heaven, we'll be outside of time, they say. Oh. So, therefore, because we will go to heaven, we're in fact, from our heavenly point of view, already there. Oh, yeah. See, because that's uh, exactly saying right, that when right. you die, you become outside of time, like God. So, if we're God already, we and, must and be so God you, now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, I mean, obviously they're not—they're just not thinking yeah. through in terms of, um, you know, whether or not we in fact enter timelessness, mm. or whether or not we in fact just enter everlasting life. Mm. Um, which is a slight, which is different. So I mean, go, we're halfway into the eternity discussion already. Right, right. So, it's, but it's all like very a, related. You know, it is linked up because is, we're asking yeah, the question here: Is God free from the created order? You know, is God self-sustaining mm. above the created order? And if time is part yeah. of that, then then that, that question comes into view. Um, and, and we are saying just to mm. make sure we're getting the Asadi point: uh, He is free from creation, mm. so that He can, you know, as Bart put it, be for creation uh we live but only because god lives and he is self-sustaining in that life um and so you know then you get onto yeah. to matters uh you know that 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 try and wrap their head around or they might you know the concept of how what the relationship is between um the creation and the creator and time was one of those sticklers uh but the other one just maybe to move mm. in in a little bit uh, in sort of this order that he puts out um you you've touched on it there i just want to make sure we hit that one as well the impassibility issue also very related to this mm -hmm. because um you know we're talking about god's eminence there 
um, and his whether he changes, whether he doesn't change, and and so forth. So you would have been listening to a few lectures on that. Uh, any thoughts on impassibility? Well, um, you know, Im- impassibility. Um, you know, it sometimes gets a little bit. Uh, well, I think that the big problem is, is is it gets misunderstood a lot. But impassibility is. Wait, let me guess. You're uh, yeah. You're going down the highway and you see a car and it looks quite fast. So you try and pass him, but he's impassable. <laughs> That's right. It's impassibility. You nailed it. Stinger. Can't 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 do any better than that. Yeah. Now, um, the. I mean, the whole idea of God doesn't doesn't change because is it uh, impassibility? I, I just, now don't get this wrong because you know the Reformed Baptists are going to get you, right? They'll come after you. Yeah, right? because well, it's interesting. It's interesting that basically you know this Dolezal guy I keep mentioning. He's mm-hmm. like the, the he's basically like he's a Reformed Baptist. Oh yeah, oh, and yeah. he's like the leading scholar on oh, kind of classical theism for sure. So. Look, at least I feel like I'm putting in my references. You know, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there, there was so much, so much uh, conundrum around this. Uh, you know, with the Reformed Baptists. Wow, we, mm. you know, because they did literally write the book on this at the, you know very recently, and um, Sam Rennie, of course, has written something on it. Uh, you know, as well, and just a more accessible sort of pastoral, well, I suppose, uh, popular yeah. book. Yeah. It was quite. Uh, it was quite. Um, brutal on those who have drifted away from yeah classical fields and that as well. brutal attitude is sort of carried through and uh, got a little bit funny at certain points but anyways uh, bottom line is you know it's a good it's an important topic and we need to get it right and um and so you know impassibility if i'm not mistaken um, Horton actually did in his The Christian Faith change a few things as he went along i think he got challenged on a few ideas um, his initial you know, I don't have the reference in front of me and uh, don't want to misrepresent him. So, you know, just uh, check this out if people are, are looking at um, the Christian faith, but just more by way of an illustration of the need to get this right and commending Horton for his, his, um, you know, his uh, willingness to, to work on his theology as he's moving along here. Um, but I think in the, in the, I remember reading in one of the first editions that, you know, impassibility was basically the idea that God would not become overwhelmed. You know, it's not that God didn't feel or change or, or, or you know, something like that. It, it's it's less that and more that he doesn't become overwhelmed by those things. And, um, and you know, it sounds reasonable. It sounds good. And there, there are many in the Reformed community that actually kind of, you know, go along with that. Um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think John Frame's kind of more along, uh, less along those lines. Um, but all those guys, I think, and um, and uh, Horton at least has indicated that he's tightened up on that a little bit in the way that it's worded now. I can't remember offhand what it's like. We've got a different so, book in uh, front yeah, of us. So you, mm-hmm. um, the because the issue actually one of the first things that happened when I came to Bethesda is I found on my desk left for me when I just started as pastor there. Mm-hmm. There were two kind of articles left on my desk. And I still don't know who left them there, but the one was on perfection that actually we could attain perfect holiness in this life now. Wow. And the other article was on how the doctrine of divine impassibility is wrong and, Mm. you know, should be rejected Mm. by all biblical Christians. And the, and the argument was basically because impassibility is an old word to talk about, you know, you talk about the passion of the Christ, you you know, it it comes from that whole idea Mm. of, of, of emotions Mm -hmm. 
And so saying that God doesn't have, how's it worded in the, in the 69, doesn't have oh, yeah. passions. Uh, without uh, parts or without parts or passions. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Without passion, body or parts or something like that. Or something like that. Um, right. the, and, and people read by that, that God has no emotion or God doesn't, mm. you know, feel or God doesn't, um, you know, like basically that God doesn't care about, about stuff. Mm-hmm. And obviously when you're reading your Bible, you just get a very, a very um, immediate yeah. sense that, that that's not right mm. and not a, a true representation of God in the sense that he very clearly does express anger mm-hmm. and love and, you know, things that we we put into that. And so um, I think a lot of people will misread divine impassibility to mean things like he doesn't doesn't care or he doesn't have any feelings or any emotions like a stoic thing yeah and i think one of the one of the big things there is you know i think you know as he points out in this chapter that you've got you know that early church sort of pagan mindset that they're wrestling with uh where you've got the greek gods who are just you know falling around at their own womb and you know just obviously enslaved Mm -hmm. by their own passions uh, and you know that sort of thing, and clearly uh, overly affected. They just basically glorified human beings in some way, and um, and sinners, should I say, not not even glorified, but just just kind of deified uh, sinners. Um, yeah. But you know the the doctrine of impassibility originally, at least, is just to go. Well, that's not what God is like, right? No. <laughs> that's He's not at all like that. He's not at all on the back foot, caught up by anything. He's not out of control. Um, and uh, you know, I think one of the things that that as a result, you know, they kind of use that stoic language, uh, yeah. which which could take that tone. But as uh, as uh, Horton says, and he's quoting Bray, the emphasis was not on the tranquility uh, in a state of indifference in God, right? Mm. But it was really on the sovereignty of God. It was um, denying that uh, God is made it again ties into the simplicity that he's made up of these various faculties or emotions and and he's ca- taken captive by anything other than his own nature and i really like the way that that gets phrased i mean really that's what we're saying god is not moved by anything outside of himself he's not taken captive yeah. by anything outside of himself he is yeah. his own you know he yeah. is the captain of his own ship in the in truth you know um he is uh he is always bound by his own nature is another way to say it but never by anything outside of himself he's always mm. he's always um uh you know he's the the wrath thing i think is a great great connecting point because when you think about our wrath I mean, we, we are just not in control of our wrath, right? We can't, mm-hmm. f- we can't control when we will be wrathful. No, right? we lose our temper. Yeah, and, um, and it's just a, one of those great ways to illustrate the point because God, God basically says, listen, I won't be angry now, I'll forget, but then I will be wrathful, you know? And, just, yeah. and the wrath will be perfect. It won't be malicious, won't be anything. It'll just be exactly what it should be. He's bound by his own perfect nature. Um, he is um, never moved by something outside of himself at that point even. Um, you know, even though it's the most... You know, he's rightly wrathful against malice against himself. Even that's not moving him to wrath. He's he's moved by his own nature, and I think that's the big idea that um, you have to. And then, of course, all the talk about change and so, and so forth in the scripture is all anthropomorphic. You know, it's all yeah. speaking yeah, yeah. to men about the way communicating to us how we feel. So as to communicate yeah. something we can never otherwise understand about God, which is yeah. not a direct analogy. It's it's only um, 
uh, it's it's an analogous way to communicate about something in God that's yeah. you know that that is impassable, <laughs> and that's the big idea. You know, you've got to keep you know landing there, um, and um, the yeah. I mean, and it's also just to say because you might be you know reading through Old Testament passages, particularly you know in, in the early Old Testament narratives where you know God finds them worshiping the golden calf and it talks very much in terms of God's anger flaring up mm. and you know he's going to destroy them but then Moses has to jump in and intervene and and those kinds of passages are used by open theists to say aha you see look <clears throat> you know here God is in fact about to you know change his mind about something he's acting he's not acting impassively he's he's overwhelmed with passion he's going to going to act to to override something you'd previously decided mm-hmm. um but again these things are communicated to us like you say in ways that we can understand so we simply would not understand um you know how god feels about sin um if you know we can only understand in terms of the kind of acts and and behaviors that we kind of know mm. so we have to recognize that but also somebody has pointed out to me that when those moments take place um, whenever God sort of acts like that, uh, he only ever ends up doing the thing that he intends to do in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, exactly. you know, yeah. he, it, it, all of those passages only serve to show how God always does his, what he intends to do, what he said he will do. So mm-hmm. his immutability that he doesn't change his mind about things he's declared or decreed mm. um, is connected to that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and even just as simple as, you know, showing, hey, God is wrathful, all right, uh, or God is angry, let's mm-hmm. say, as you mentioned, some of those um, those texts, and it brings it across in, in uh, when we say anthropomorphic, we mean just in ways that, you know, are morphed according to anthropos men, and uh, just, yeah. <laughs> you know, where we're, 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 we're speaking in human terms, like Kelvin put it, God speaking in baby language, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I like that one, it's just like when you speak to your kid, you, you're not giving the full enchilada, but you're going, um, you know, daddy's cross or something you know and um mm. and you're speaking in, in true terms it's not it's not a lie but it's it's certainly not everything of its nuance that you could ever understand and so uh, obviously at an infinitely greater level that's what's happening over here um but you know things like wrath and anger <clears throat> you know it, when when we see that that anthropomorphic language used uh, it must communicate the true reality of god's wrath it's a true mm. thing in god it's yeah. just that it doesn't communicate a passability in god uh, which mm. it would in a human being and and that's just really the disconnect right there and we just have to constantly keep that in mind and this is the good news just by the by mm. If this doesn't happen this way, then how how do our sins get placed upon Christ? How do yeah. um, you know? Yeah. There's just there's no way that the good news can happen. There's no ways that we wouldn't be totally decimated already. You know, if God yeah, there would definitely be no assurance. No assurance. Because what's to, what's to stop something that you do from flaring up God's wrath? Exactly. And just causing him to undo. Like yeah, sure, I promised that I would do this in the gospel. Yeah. Forgive you and, and save you, but you've done something so bad now, or you've done the same thing again for so many times, I've just lost my temper and I'm going to mm. condemn you, you know? Exactly. So that's There's a no big point. I mean, that, that drives it home. That's that's why this thing is important. Dolezal brings it home too. Um, the eternity, we finally get to the immortality or omnipresence and omni... Um, 
uh, I suppose you've got yeah, the immortality, uh, what am I thinking, infinity sort of aspect in time and, and place. And, um, and uh, I, I think it's good the way he connects those two. Um, we've mentioned that you know, there is a, a view called uh, Sempaternity. Uh, or uh, sympathy. Yeah, that was yeah. interesting. Um, and that is, yeah, I've come across that a few times. And basically, that's the whole idea that you, you know, you want to think in terms of time, just being infinite, you know, rather than mm-hmm. t- being outside of time. Um, and so, there's not a point at which God can be outside of time because time itself is infinite. But that's where the arc comes in, you know. And he doesn't mention it in the book, but I think it would help. Basically, you just bring time above the arc, and you don't want to do that. That's not. That's a creation thing. What he does do in the book is he says, just to, just think about time and space as one mm-hmm. one idea. And obviously, you don't want to bring space above the ark. You don't want to say that, you know, God is the earth or everything he's created. So, um, certainly, um, uh, the, well, the same Well, isn't that another divine, uh, incommunicable attribute? The, um, the, uh, the word has escaped me. There's a word for that. Outside of space, what? Uh, the mind. Keep, keep going. It'll come. It'll come to me at some point. Oh, uh, the ontological distinction. No, 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 no. no, no, no. All right, no, no, no there's cool. a word. Uh, Eternity, omnipresence. No, it. Hang on. Say it. Say <laughs> Oh, it's right there. No, no, it's no, no, no. It's gone. It's gone. All right, it's dead. Leave it alone. All right, dead. now. No, Let's get back to what I was anyway, saying. Anyway, that's that another long. attribute, though, outside time and space. <laughs> well, I mean, it's what we're. I mean, aseity would be what I would imagine that that would be. You know, God is not. Yeah, well, they're all connected, but no, there was something. Oh, hang on. <laughs> you look it up. I'll keep talking. Um, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, aseity is is kind of that in my mind, in that God is not dependent on anything. He's outside of time and space. Um, are you talking about his? Um, not his eminence, but his. Transcendence, something that, yeah. Well, it is kind of transcendent, but there's another word that I'm t- that I'm stuck on. But it is, it's like that idea. But oh, come on, we should turn on, this into on. a book. If you can guess what it is, thinking about right I now, know. we'll send you a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Problem is, we don't have any books to send, so we're not going to do that. Um, all right. <laughs> so, yeah, I like what he says. With Augustine, I believe the time comes into being with creation itself. Amen. Again, this underscores God's freedom from creation point we're making in aseity um and that's allows him to be for it he can't be for creation as god if he's part of creation basically that's the whole thing um well that does bring me to the communicable attributes it looks like i'm going solo um all by myself lone lonely lonely no 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 hang on who knows? Right who knows? Just, uh, Where i'm just seeing if old uh if old Grudem, he's got a he's got a much more sort of let's list the attributes style of writing so. right Right. I'm just trying to see if I can find right. it, although I can't. Well, the communicable attributes are deceptively uh, uh, easier, but really not. And this is where you don't want to go, oh, we're out of the woods now. You know, we're onto like things no. that we can totally relate to God on. Uh, but, you know, yeah, we just have an analogy to work with. Um, but 
you know, they, they, even that you've got to be careful with because they are, it's, we're not ever saying ever at any point that we're on some sort of continuum with God. It's like he's just got more of what we've got. Uh, we've got something, mm-hmm. you know, qualitatively different rather than quantitatively um, less than, than God. Yeah, or he's got something um, uh, qualitatively different rather than merely quantitatively different. And, um, and so we're looking at all these uh, attributes, wisdom, knowledge, power, holiness, righteousness, justice, jealousy, wrath, goodness, love, mercy. Um, and so he groups them together, wisdom, knowledge, and power. Um, and, um, you know, I think what, one, of the, one of the points that he makes will come back when we think about God's sovereignty. And I just want to sort of set it up at this point, because I do think it is quite an important idea. And that is this, this, this reality of his ontological distinction, his that God, God has his own realm of knowledge, as it were. Again, I'm coming back to that book, uh, Character Description. Uh, it's true that God can be imminent and write himself into the story, but that doesn't change the fact that he is, he has a knowledge as an author, you know, and the characters have a knowledge as a character. And really, that's a lot of what we're looking at at every level with these, um, with these attributes. Um, God, you know, when we talk about man's freedom and God's sovereignty and all of this comes into play, you know, how, how does his foreknowledge work? How does he, how does his wisdom in that regard work? And he has his own, uh, you know, this will tie into the doctrine of concurrence. He has his own will. He has his own wisdom. He, you know, God doesn't share knowledge with us or share his will with us or share his freedom with us. Uh, he, he, he has his own realm, right? Whatever freedom and will and knowledge he grants to man, it's, 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 it's at another level. I think if you get mm-hmm. that, you're almost just kept safe from all major yeah, problems. Yeah. You know, there is an analogy. We don't want to remove it entirely and say that there's no connection to the author. Obviously, that's not true. But you can never think of God only as another character in the story. He's got to be the author and you've got to be the character. And so, yeah. so really... Um, uh, quick and nasty way to summarize some of what Horton's saying here, but just in the in the interest of time, I think that's a helpful way because it will come up again and again. Yeah, I mean we've already been talking about wrath and the ways that you know, that is different. Exactly, you know, yeah. our our wrath is something that that happens, you know, whereas it's 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 an impulse, you know, uh, whereas God's is measured. You know, he can yeah. he can postpone wrath, he can delay. Right. This judgment, you know, right. and um, <clears throat> and I, I think the other challenge though is just also like understanding what these terms mean in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about something like talking about the love of God, you mm-hmm. know, you've got all sorts of notions about what it would mean for God to be loving, yeah, which are based more on like sort of popular versions of what love is than actually a biblical definition of, yeah. of love. So that's like another challenge, yeah. You know, you, you you might be. It's not only that you might be sort of domesticating God, you know, in in your own in in making him a little bit too much like you, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's also that you might just be working on a wrong definition in the first place, mm-hmm. and therefore just projecting that false version of love onto God, you know, in 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 a sense as well. So yeah, at yeah. least with something like eternity. You know, it's it's in one sense you, you know, you're always dealing with something that's not like you. Yeah. And yeah. so at least it's harder to blur that distinction. Exactly. But when it yeah. comes to the things that are communicable, <clears throat> mm-hmm. you can so easily project wrong understandings right. back onto right. God and say, actually, this you have to be more careful now. 
Exactly. That was kind of what I was trying to get at. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's why I think the definitive thing here is the creative creature distinction, even yeah. though they're communicable, uh, there, there's something, um, that we've just got to keep there that, that allows us to know, okay, whatever we're saying, yeah, uh, going into God, we always have to be cautious and thinking it's an exact equivalence because it certainly isn't. So, you know, you mentioned love and oh my goodness. Wow. You know, well, we can imagine all manner of perversions being read onto God there because, Let's. Yeah. Let, we've got some pretty sick and twisted versions of love going on in our own minds. But you know, even down the line, in, as Christians, it takes a while to get hold of this love thing. And and you know, really, where we, where do we see all that communicated? That's the cross. Um, you know, that's as we say, where justice and mercy meet. That's love. That's goodness. That's wrath. You know, it helps us to understand that you can't have one without the other. Uh, if we've got a version of love in our minds that says you can never have wrath, which is like, what, 90% of the landscape of Christianity today, the guy's all, oh, love means you can't be wrathful. Um, therefore, if God is loving, there is no wrath in hell. Well, you know, we come along and we say, no, well, you know, there can't be love unless there's wrath. The cross mm. proves it. Mm. And we can find analogies, again, to show why that would be the case. I mean, if you are, you know, you see someone, you see someone that you love, um, let's say, you know, a family member or a child or mom or dad or whatever, um, you know, being beaten up in an alley by some, you know, guy who's mugging them. If you don't feel wrath at that point, there's something wrong with you. And, yeah. you know, that's yeah, yeah. a good way to, to, to connect how love must produce wrath at that level. Um, but of course there again, we're just meddling around in human analogies, but, but the point being that these things are connected and they are qualitatively, but no, no, Yes, qualitatively different. Yeah. Don't want to get that wrong. Qualitatively different from the way that we experience them. I think you can say there's a quantitative difference if, if Ooh. I know you're not going to agree with this, but okay. if you're saying that the quantitative thing comes in um, to describe the difference between uh, the or, or, or the extent of the the qualitative difference. So in other words, God is qualitatively different to us in the sense that he's a different being, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And the gap between his kind of being and our kind of being is qualitative. Well, you should just use the, the word quantitative then. Is what I would say. <laughs> well, I'm saying I'm saying there is a the, you can you can use the word that qualitative as in helpful. a non-heretical way. That was that was as helpful as Pelagius's contribution to the realm of soteriology. <laughs> no, Pelagius was a heretic. That, what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is that you can use it in a non-heretical way. It may like, not it's be like, it's the like most saying, helpful way. It's like saying, it. affirm everything Pelagius said except mean what Augustine meant. I just think there's a reason why like theologians will talk about both. So it's, it's not, it, you know, it, 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 why we use language of kind of, it's not merely, it's not merely... Uh, qualitative no not merely quantitative but qualitative you know yeah is that well, actually I think, I think one of the things about the quantitative deal is that it actually frees you up to use qualitative like language but exactly that's the thing yeah. that's why you want to be razor sharp on this rather than muddy the waters like you're doing right now right you go you go no qualitative different that's for when i say god is infinitely greater or when you know you just speak in normal ways you know, you're able to make sure you get that down. It doesn't lead to some open world theism, which essentially is going to go to, you know, if, if it's just a matter of God being slightly better than us or infinitely better than us even. 
um, you know, just on that ladder scheme. It's got to be a different, it's got to be, for me, the big, the big analogy or the big uh, illustration is the author and the characters in the story. It just helps for me. It's like you, you can't mess it up that way. There's no ways that the character, they might be like the author. You know what I mean? Like there might be something going on in that character that represents the author. But man, at the best, at the very best, that character is just never going to be the person that's writing that book. You know, it's, just not, it's a two-dimensional, it's not even a thing. It's like just, you know, on the page. Whereas you got this living being writing writing the book. You know, so that's just a helpful way to get it. There's a absolute gap There's at that point. There's a fiction fact yes. distinction. Yeah. So and yeah. Then, you, then you can be free to say, well, look how... Look how similar this character is to the, the author. Um, cool. Well, that takes us to the end of uh, Horton's thing. And we'll carry on uh, next time with the Trinity. Ooh, that's a small topic. We should be able to, mm. should be able mm. to hit that no problem. Um, and the other, the other um, I know you're trying to bring this to, to them, but the yeah, other. That was like, the that other was like act- one of those landing, landing, landing. Oh, yeah. oh, 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 oh yeah. we got no. turbulence. Sorry. Sorry. There's, a, there's a goat in the runway. Gotta, gotta pull it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the holiness thing, I think, is another one that needs some careful definition, you know. Yeah. When we talk about yeah, holiness, we, we actually jumped over word. that. It's so true. Like, I just think that we have a, we can have at certain points in the church a very sort of fundamentalist view of holiness. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's a fundamentalism about our view of holiness. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think is is very unhelpful, and and its extremes go towards the kind of the Pharisaic view of holiness, which is not holy. Were well, you not referring to the term holy earlier on? What you as an about? attribute, because that's the whole. He is not above all. The no, okay. oh, I th- I th- I, it's it is um, immensity. That's what I remember. Oh, was. Okay, immensity. So God, uh, yeah, it's not very it's not very um, common, but some systematic theologies use the term immensity specifically to describe God being outside of space, huh. and then His eternity to describe Him being outside of time. Cool. All right, there we go. Was that a kid? Uh, he's muting. There we go. Um, all right. So, so, but you know what? You know, it's interesting. Even though we bounced over holiness, actually, yeah. we've been talking about it the whole time at that level, because yep. you know, God is utterly set apart. Holiness at a definitive yeah. level, and then of course the ethical component is what you're 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 speaking about there, right? Yeah. So, because holiness is an interesting one, it's kind of you know of all the attributes, it's it's you know because the whole idea of holiness, like you say. Is that God is incommunicable in some way, right? right you know, right. Um, but then there is obviously a right use of holiness, but it's just not in the same sense. So yeah. our holiness very much derives from God, whereas His holiness, you know, derives from Himself. So yeah, and then you have the aseity component again. Yeah and, yeah, and you know that's actually an important one when you're thinking about you know debates with people. Where do moral standards come from? You know, like mm. basically. You know, we're saying that all of our morality comes out of this constituent being of God. You know, that's where that's where the law comes from, and uh, not not, and that's why we can have morality to begin with. You know, there is no such thing unless mm. God is God and outside of time and uh, ethically mm. uh, who He is as His own person in His own being, uh, as His own, you know triune uh, person and we'll get there <laughs> it's 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 difficult water it's so we're strange <laughs> all right cool um i'm gonna land this plane before we say yeah. something heretical which would suck um <laughs> if we haven't already if we but haven't we, at which point i once heard i once heard one podcast give the disclaimer saying listen 
I'm not trying to say anything heretical. I'm in full support of all the, you know, classical yeah. doctrines yeah, and yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so if I do accidentally say something, <laughs> just know that that was not intentional and yeah. that I am not disagreeing or, or correcting the creeds in any way. No, I'm totally. in fact affirming what's orthodox. It is a, it's a, it's a difficult part to teach you. I remember teaching a whole bunch of lectures on this and, you know, you had to be careful. Usually I kind of freestyle a little bit, you know, and I just sort of ran with my notes and, you know, I kind of feel like I've got to, yeah control over it but you yeah. just want to be so careful in what you say because you realize if you go wrong yeah so to talk through it in a conversational way is a difficult thing but um thing. you know the the bottom line is you know we should also be able to to uh to work through this at this kind of messy level and just be able to chat it through in fact we need to be able to talk more about this stuff because this is theology yeah and i don't think like if anyone's being put off by oh this sounds very sort of technical and i don't want to have to be so guarded when i'm thinking and talking mm, about mm. god well it, i mean two things to say is one is there is a rightness to being guarded in your talking about god mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know that's mm -hmm. perfectly appropriate actually great yeah uh, but the second thing to say is that all of this discussion really is just about defining the boundaries uh, for the field of play yeah. and so you yeah. you know if you have those clear distinctions in mind so you know like with the doctrine of the trinity which we'll get on and you you know the things that you just can't say those things mm -hmm. and you know you can't blur that creator creature distinction is mm -hmm. the big point mm -hmm. you know, to take away from today mm -hmm. um then once you as long as you've got that idea in your mind actually there is room to play you know mm. there's room to think and express and 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 praise god freely and not you know when you're praying to have to worry about the kind of language you're using yeah, yeah. you know you just got to define the boundaries yeah. and then the field of play is there to yeah. there to enjoy absolutely for sure yeah great and it's a whole case there for confessions and those sorts of things um good well let's leave it at that it's a great point to end on um thanks bro appreciate it and um hey we will play out are you ready I'm ready. Play out's not working. Okay, now I really mean it. We're going to play out. <laughs>